Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would, to your Old Testament, Genesis and Exodus, the first two books in the Bible. Genesis and Exodus. We'll start in Exodus, so go there, if you would. Chapter 3, book of Exodus. We're continuing in our series, God Told Me, trying to imagine what God would say if we were to give him a chance to speak. And if we ask him a question, God, what do you want me to do? And so today, we're going to imagine that he would say, develop a godly perspective towards life. And that's kind of a mouthful of words. I think probably I should have entitled this, Think Like a Christian. And so we're going to talk today about how Christians can think about our world differently, how you can think about each other differently, and how that might change our perspective. Uh, for those of you that are kind of bookish, it's called a worldview. So some of you may have seen that term before. And it's really not any complicated more than that. It's just how you think about the world. So a worldview or worldly perspective or Christian perspective, however you want to call it. It's just learning to think Christian. And that's something that you don't do just because you get saved and, and your hair's wet and all those kinds of things. You know, it doesn't mean you, you figure it out. You know, it takes, for most of us, many, many years to learn to think like a Christian like God wants us to. So we're going to talk about that today. As always, we begin with prayer. Of course, there are many things for which we should pray. The war in Ukraine, those in Turkey that have lost so much due to the earthquakes. And here at home, mass shootings, crimes. It seems as if so much of our world is falling apart. It's kind of terrifying if you think about it. So I'll give you a few moments where you're seated to pray for those things. And then I'll close and we'll look at this passage together. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, we gather and worship, recognizing that you are Father God, creator of all that is, giver of life, lover of our souls. Thank you. We worship you, Father, and you alone. We recognize that you are the one God, creator and ruler over all. And we submit to you today, Father, in this act of worship. We recognize your power and authority over us. We recognize who you are. And we worship you. We come before you, Father, your creation, but flawed. We have chosen to sin in so many ways. We often reject your instruction. Sometimes we don't even care to ask. And so we sin. Forgive us, Father, for our sin. We ask for mercy and the cleansing that only you can give through Jesus. We pray this morning, Father, that you would open our hearts to your word Help us to learn how to think Christian, to resist the worldly ways of this life that are so common. Help us, Father, to come back to you. We pray this morning for those that we have mentioned, those who are at war in Ukraine and in Syria, for those who are suffering great tragedies in Turkey. 
for those around the world, Father, including this nation who struggle against principalities and powers, corrupt governments, forces that are out of control. Lord, help us. We do our best, and it's obvious that it isn't very good. Help us, Father. We pray for those that are in power over us, those in positions of leadership and authority. Give them wisdom and discernment and discretion and self-control. We pray, Father, that they would be moved to do the right thing in any given situation, that they would be concerned for the good of the people, that they would learn to put aside partisan differences for the good of the body. As always, we pray for those first responders, policemen, soldiers, EMTs, and the like. Use them, Father, to save lives and bring peace. Help them, Father, protect them. Comfort their families. As always, Father, we worship you in faith. We thank you for the gift of faith you have given us and for these many blessings in this great nation. Speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to try to watch a video today, see if Debbie can get it together. And I have to commend the media staff because I threw them a loop today. And we'll see if they caught it. This is Sasha. This is Sam. When they first met, it was just small talk about where to find the best coffee, the new high top she just bought, a book of poetry he found at a used bookstore, a new local band she discovered just last weekend, a zombie apocalypse movie he saw last night with some friends in his martial arts class, her homemade screen print t-shirt, and his favorite Chinese restaurant, which made them both hungry. So they got two orders of Mandarin chicken with brown rice, and then Sam opened his fortune cookie. Life's journey ends with a new beginning. Whoa, that's deep. But in the real world, life's journey ends with an ending. When you die, you're done. Well, yes, your body no longer works, but your soul continues to exist, don't you think? Your soul? No, I don't believe in ghosts. We're physical creatures, material objects, just a collection of highly organized atoms. When your brain flatlines, that's it. Game over. So you don't believe in life after death? No. I mean, it's a comforting thought, but there's just no scientific evidence for it. I'd rather face the real world than believe in a fairy tale. Yeah, I agree with you, Sam. It's best to face reality, but it may be that life after death is reality. I mean, think about it. If life just ends at death, then everything we do or say comes to nothing. What meaning or purpose can our lives possibly have? Well, I guess my life has whatever meaning I choose to give it. I personally believe in truth, beauty, science, making the world a better place, saving the environment, freedom of speech, and you know, tolerance. Yes, that's all well and good. But what does all that matter if it ends in nothingness? What are your thoughts about God? Which God? There are millions of gods. The God that's in the Bible. It's been proven that the Bible is just a bunch of mythology written by ancient desert nomads. But you know, if faith in God makes you feel good, I won't argue with that. But I personally prefer more of a rational, open-minded approach to life. Here's what I believe, Sasha. You shouldn't think anything is true unless it's been scientifically proven. 
But has that belief itself been scientifically proven? Um, Sam, you and I look at life very differently. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like we're from different worlds. Not different worlds, different worldviews. A worldview is the set of lenses through which you see the world around you. It's a web of habit-forming beliefs that helps you make sense of all your experiences. Through your worldview, you interpret life in a particular way. It affects how you think, how you feel, and how you live from day to day. To understand what your worldview is, think carefully about the big questions of life. Does God exist? How did everything begin? Who am I? Why am I here? Am I living a good life? What happens after I die? Cabbages and puppies don't think about this stuff, but people do. Reflecting on these questions is part of what makes us human. In fact, every one of us has a worldview. What's yours? Thank you, Debbie. Appreciate that. So everybody has a worldview. Again, it's just a way that you think. As Christians, the scriptures teach us that there is a particular way that God wants us to think, some, based on some facts, some biblical teachings and things like that. And there are a lot of alternatives, of course, and I don't have time to mess with all of those. You know, I get to talk about the big issues of the world for about 20 minutes and then that's it because your stomachs and your bottoms say it's over and I understand that. So today I'm going to talk about a Christian worldview or a godly perspective on life and teach you how I think and I can't tell you how you should think. I can give you some ideas from scripture and we're going to do that today and just trying to develop a way that God wants us to think. Like in the video said, it's a framework by which you understand and make sense of your world. And so, if, you know, to take the example of the guy in the video, if you don't believe in God and don't believe in the hereafter, there is a very particular way to look at life. Scientific, rational, when you're dead, you're dead. However, if you believe in God and you follow Jesus as Savior, there's a whole other collection of thoughts and ideas and beliefs that comes into play that will influence the way you look at your life and, and all those kinds of things. So we're going to look at that today. And... and I, I got online and looked at the books that I have and things like this and, and worldviews can be either simple or complex. It depends on how you think. I tend to want things to be presented kind of simply. So today we're going to look at a worldview, the one that I use, and it's very simple. It's only got three parts and it talks about who God is and then how we're talking about the world as a created order and then we're going to talk about man as a created person in the image of God. And so those are my frameworks. And everything that I think about is interpreted through that lens of God as creator, God as authority, and man as creation of God. So we're going to look at that. So on screen is this very first idea. If we can go to that next frame, please. There is one all-powerful God who is holy and righteous. So the basis of everything I do and I think this is the reason that God wanted the creation story in the very first is there is a way that you understand who God is. So if you would, turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, second book in your Bible, of course. And most of you will remember the story of Moses. Grew up in Egypt. 
son of a Jewish mama, rescued out of a basket when Pharaoh was going to kill all the children. For a long story short, he ended up in the desert. He had fled Egypt and God was speaking to him and God wanted him to go and go back to Egypt and free the Hebrew people. And remember, this was before the Hebrew people were the Hebrew people. They were a collection of slaves and, and people like that. And God wanted them to be free from, from Egyptian oppression. So God was talking to Moses and Moses said, okay, now just a little bit of background. Moses said, okay, so I'm going to go and I'm going to challenge Pharaoh, the leader of the free world. And I'm going to tell him to let my people go and those kinds of things. Just who are you that I'm going to tell him this? And in verses, the passage we're going to read in verses 13 through 15 is the answer. So Exodus 3, beginning at verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. So here's the beginning. God had created things and put things in motion. We're going to talk about that in just a bit. But now he was talking to Moses, wanted his people freed. He had chosen the Hebrew people to come out and be his people, the nation of Israel. And Moses said, okay, what's your name? And he said, I am. Now that's not a name that you and I would use, but it meant, and the, the people understood this because of the words that were used in those old languages, it meant I am the beginning and the end and everything in between. So when God said that very simple I am, he was saying, I am the God who has created all that there is, and I am forever. And they understood that because of the language he used, and he used a colloquial language, language that everybody understood, and God wanted them to understand that he was the one that was going to work to give them life. And he was the one that gave them life in the beginning and was going to recreate them and all those kinds of things. And so he establishes himself, and this is God's word to us. He revealed who he was to us. So there's one of those ideas in this worldview. You don't stumble into God because you're smart. God reveals himself to you. So when you come into faith, that means that God has revealed himself to you. He has allowed you to understand him. I said earlier in my prayer that I thanked God for the gift of faith. We understand from biblical teachings that we will not believe in God on our own. Instead, God gives us the gift of faith. So if you believe in God and you have this faith in Jesus as Savior, you are responding to God's first move. So God is the first cause, and that's a term that you'll see in writings and things like that. God is the first cause. Not only did he create, but he causes you to understand, and he gives you the gift of faith. He doesn't make you receive it, but he gives it to you. So when you see people with faith and you wonder, how do they do that? They do that because they are responding and receiving the gift of faith. So when you want more faith or you don't have faith, it's okay to ask God, give me faith. 
In fact, is at one point, Jesus was talking centuries later, and he talked to the man, and the man was struggling with his faith. He said, Jesus, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. So he understood that he believed a little bit, but he, he couldn't take it all in. So he asked God himself in the form of Jesus, help me to believe. Help me to have faith. So when you don't have faith and when you doubt God, it's okay to ask. There's no criticism there. And everybody will be challenged by life and wonder what's going on with God. So it's okay to ask him, God help me to understand. So on screen are a couple of things that we can learn. Let's go back to that, Debbie, if we would. God is eternal and holy and pure. And I'm summing up a whole lot of biblical teaching today, so we're not going to look at all the passages. Eternal means he's forever. The great I am is forever. There was never a time when God did not exist. Now, you're saying, well, how do you know this? Well, the only thing that we can say is God reveals himself to us. Science can't prove or disprove anything about God. And whenever scientists say we, there is no God because we can't find him, that doesn't mean anything. Science is not designed to prove the existence of God or to disprove the existence of God. Science can prove processes. Science can prove the existence of material goods. But they can't answer that why. So, it is a faith premise. God exists. God is eternal, the great I am. There was never a time that God did not exist. And there will never be a time when God ceases to exist. He's eternal. Holy means he's separate from us, set apart for his own service and his own purposes. And that's what holy means. So when someone is holy, that means they are set apart for God's service. So it doesn't mean they're necessarily religious, but it does mean that God is using them for his purposes. And then God is pure. The whole idea of purity means because God created us, he knows what's best for us. I was thinking about this this morning. Uh, some of you know that I don't sleep much anymore. For some reason, my body has decided I don't get to sleep. I want to sleep, but I don't get to. So I got up at 2.30 this morning. I was thinking about this sermon because there's not a lot to do at 2.30 in the morning. And I read through my sermon and studying the notes and things like this. And I began to realize that sometimes we just don't know why things are as they are. And why does God teach us this? And so it occurred to me that since God created us, he knows what is best for us. So the premises of sin and good and bad are based on what is good for us. Take an easy example. Violence is always bad for you, right? Whether you're doing it or receiving it, it's always a bad deal, right? So God says, don't be violent. Don't whack people when you want to whack them. Don't do that because it's bad for you and for them. It hurts your relationships. It gets you in trouble with the law. So that's the premise that those things that are called sin are those things that are going to hurt you. God knows those things. God understands. Before you can, he knows. And so he has to teach us. So when God gives us biblical teachings about right and wrong and morality, he does so based on his understanding of the world. And as God, we believe that he is all-knowing. The old term is omniscience. He knows all. So he knows what's going to hurt us. And so the basis of morality is God's teachings on what is pure. Another thing up there on screen, you can see that God is worthy of worship. We live in a world which does not recognize, we recognize spiritual things, but we've gotten the idea that everybody is equal. 
And everything is equal. And yes, people are equal. But no, we are not equal to God. God is above us. He's God, all-powerful, all-knowing. He does understand what you do not understand. He can see into the future, and you cannot. And we try and all those kinds of things. But God is different. He's not just the greatest of all gods. That would be incorrect to say that because he is the only God. See, part of a Christian worldview is monotheism. There's only one God. So we don't worship the God who was God over the other gods. We worship the only God. There are not greater and lesser gods. Now, other people in the world have different worldviews. Some of you know people that are from Asian cultures and things like that. And they will say that there are many gods and many people and belief systems and things like that. And that's their perspective. But the Christian perspective is, and it shares with the Jewish perspective, is that there is just one God. God overall. And again, it's called monotheism. And because he is all-knowing and all-powerful and eternal, he is worthy of worship. Think about it. We gather and we worship. We talk about the greatness of God. We give him gifts of time and energy and monies and service and those kinds of things. And we recognize that he can change our lives. He's the only one that can do that. Don't make the mistake of thinking that he's just the man upstairs. That really is disrespectful to refer to God as the man upstairs when you think about it because he is the God who is over all. He's not just powerful either. Think about this. We watched the Super Bowl last week. Good game, by the way. The correct outcome, I think. Have you ever met those football players in real life? When I was a kid, the Chiefs practiced at William Jewell Field, and some of you remember that. Dave, you probably remember that. And I would ride my bicycle in the summer from Excelsior to Liberty, and I would watch them practice. And I was always amazed because they would come and talk to me and shake my hand because I was just a dumb kid on a bicycle. And I remember their fingers being like sausages. They were just huge people. And they weren't all that big in those days. They were only 6'6 six, six or 6'7, six, 300 pounds. They're bigger now, of course. And they're just giants of people. We don't worship them because they're powerful, because we understand they're just people. See, we don't worship God because he's powerful. We worship him because he is that total package of wisdom and power and knowledge. He's not just a bigger, stronger version of us. He's separate from us. He's worthy of worship. So that's my image of God based on biblical teachings. So my worldview is based on the idea that there is a God who is over all. So ultimately, I answer to him. Yes, there are authorities who have control over my life to some degree. Policemen, legislators, family, etc. But ultimately, I will answer before God. My worldview has this understanding that come at the end of my life or whenever I don't have the timeline figured out, I will stand before Almighty God and answer for the life that I lived and for whether or not I received the gift of faith in Jesus. You see, he's the authority. So everything I do will be measured against his teachings and how I live my life according to his teachings. So that's the first one. Now the next screen, very simple. Our world and all that exists is a creation of this one God. So turn back to Genesis 1 if you would. Genesis 1. The 
first three verses of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, and we'll stop there. So the second part of a worldview that God wants us to have is that we are created by Almighty God. In other words, we're not just a product of biology. Some would say that. You know, the scientific rationalist perspective is we are an accident of biology. And they have to say the word accident because if we're not an accident, that meant there was purpose. And science, by definition, has to ignore that. So the rationalist perspective would say, no, we're not created, created by God. We're just functions of biology. And there are good people like that. And they do that because they can't prove the idea that God created. And we can't either. Again, this is a premise of faith. We believe we are created in God's image. Our world and all that exists is a creation of the world of the one God. And so the idea is that when we look at this vast world, we look at the pictures from the Hubble telescope and others, we look at the pictures of Voyeur and all those kinds of things, and we study science, and we study cell biology and math and mechanics and mechanical engineering, all those kinds of things, what we're doing is examining and learning about how Creator God put us together. Now, amazingly enough, there are so many things that are answered by this understanding that God created that sometimes life is even made simpler because of this. The world is God's and his to direct. If God created, it is his. Now, we live here. I own my property. I have a deed to some land out in Oric, paradise, right? And so, while I'm alive, I get to call it mine. When I die, it will be somebody else's. But ultimately, God owns that land. He has allowed me to be a steward. And that's a biblical idea. Fits in with this idea of worldview. God gives us this world to use. It's his. He has the title to it. But he allows us to use it. Now, I don't know about you. How many of you... I want a show of hands here. How many of you were taught by somebody along the way that when you borrow someone's stuff... You treat it better than your own. Anybody taught that? Sure. My dad literally beat that one into me. When you borrow somebody's stuff, you give it back better. So if some, you borrow somebody's car and you break it, that means you fix it before you take it back. And after you borrow their car, you clean it for them and you fill a gas tank because it's somebody else's and you disrespect them and dishonor them if you do anything less. So understanding that, and this is my worldview, this is God's world. He's allowed us to be here. We use it. We call it our own. We are to be stewards. In other words, God wants us to take care of it. It's his. It's his to direct. And he allows us to use it a little bit. If you would, look at chapter 2 of Genesis. Verse 15. In the creation story... Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Work. Yes, God created you to work. Maybe not in a factory, but in some way, he never intended for us to sit on our rumps in a cushy chair and watch TV 14 hours a day. Now, we want to. 
And you can do that one day a year and feel good about yourself. If you find yourself doing it more than, very often, you know, you're wasting a lot of what you've been given. And you're not being a good steward of your life. God wants you to work it. And in the text we just read, God is telling the first man, this is what I want you to do. This is a wonderful world. Take care of it. Some people take it literally. Some take it metaphorically as a parable or whatever. It doesn't really matter. The whole idea is the same. God created and we are to be stewards of this world. So think about it. When you do something, do you make a mess and do you clean, clean yourself up? Well, if you're responsible, you clean up your mess. In Boy Scouts, I was taught, when you go to a campsite, you make your campsite, and then when you clean up, when you leave, the idea is you leave it better than you got there. And so that was the understanding I got. And interestingly enough, that is a very Christian perspective, made it into the scouting at one time. So for us, if we live this idea that we are creations of God, creation is God's, and he wants us to take care of it, that means when we use things here, and it's okay to use things, put them back and clean up your mess. So, ancient man cut down trees so they could burn and make a fire and cook bread and feed their family. And what ancient man could have and should have done was rebuild the forest along the way. Now, we didn't do that. Men aren't very good about cleaning up after the mess. Then, push came to shove and we found this black rock in the ground called coal. And we found out that if we burn that, it saves the forest, which means it's easier to, to get. And it feeds our family, heats our homes, and those kinds of things. But it makes this huge mess. Well, understanding what God wants us to do, use the resources and clean up our mess. When we use open pit mines, he would say, well, cover those mines back up when you're done. And burn that coal as cleanly as you can. And that's what we did for a century or so. And we had to have that. That's all we had. Then oil came along and we discovered how to use that and natural gas and those things. And we're towards the end of that cycle too. So what we need to be doing is cleaning up the mess that we've made for the last hundred years. There's no morality of using gas or not. It's how you use it and do you clean up your mess. And so we clean up our mess. And the next cycle is we're going to be, who knows what we're going to do. I don't know if we're going to go to nuclear power or just solar power or water power. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Do it, use it, and clean up your mess. And eventually the ultimate goal is to use an energy source that negatively impacts the world the least. And that's just a concept of stewardship, see. And so what we have to be doing as Christian is saying, okay, this is what we're doing and it's making a mess. Let's clean this mess up and see if we can do it any better. This isn't a radical environmentalist perspective. This is a Christian perspective on stewardship. Clean up your mess. Leave it better than you got it. See, that's how a worldview works. It gives you instruction even on very big ideas that are sometimes difficult. One other thing on screen is the idea that all of man is a creation of God. Now, chapter 1 of Genesis, and I know I'm about out of time. Genesis 1, I'll read verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over the cattle and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. 
And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall crush, bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your chain and pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So the first part was God created man in his image. So the important thing here is, he did not create different races, he created man. And interestingly enough, the Old Testament perspective was very simple. God created people. We understand now that the difference in races is only external, meaning you, a white person, are identical to a black person or identical to a person from China or Vietnam or any other part of the world. So when you see someone on TV and it looks like they're from another world, they're from another part of the world and their environment has affected them. And environments affect the way you look and how you grow and your diet and all those kinds of things. We know that now. So when the Bible says God created man in his image, that is a spiritual image. We're made to think like God. Emotions, rational thought and things like that. But he created us all the same, which means, and here's the impact, you are equal to anybody else. Your gender, your color is irrelevant in the eyes of God. And so if you adopt that worldview, it changes things, doesn't it? Now, I have to admit, we haven't always had that perspective. Here in our culture, at one point, we had the idea that black people weren't as good as us, so we could own them and enslave them. We have understood now that that was a horrible error, that they are equal to us in every way, shape, and form. They look different, and that's as far as it goes. Racism... Gender fighting and all those kinds of things are man-made. God created us to be equal, man and woman, regardless of the races. And if you buy into that idea, then it changes the way you deal with people. You know, we're having this thing in our culture now with anti-Semitism, anti-Jewish thought. And again, that's just plain old racism from a long time ago. And it's not biblical, it's not Christian, or anything like that. Because again... The biblical worldview says all people are equal. Some are bigger than others. Some are shorter than others. Yes, some are more intelligent than others. That's just the way it is. When I went to school, I was mid-pack, depending upon the class. When I worked at the Ford plant, if I worked during the day shift, I was one of the tallest guys there because I was young and I ate better than my daddy. And then when I worked the night shift, I was one of the shortest guys there because those guys were younger. And so on and so forth. It was a function of environment. But we were all equal. So if you learn to think like a Christian, you understand that we're all the same. That this whole idea of racism and fighting amongst the genders and all those kinds of things, it's evil. Because it allows us to hurt other people and think less of them. And one other thing, and this is not an insignificant thing, we're all sinners. Every one of us. And we can't fix that. It's not a matter of the will, it's a matter of the heart. And so the last passage we read, where God was meeting out judgment for their sin, he was saying to the evil one, to Satan himself, and this is just a story, he told him, all right, you're going to be able to bruise the heel of the one that is to come, but he's going to bruise you on the head. Meaning, you're going to be able to crucify my son Jesus, 
but he will destroy you on the cross. And that's exactly what happened. That's why that passage of scripture that we read is called the proto-evangelism, the first gospel. Because that's the first time in scripture that the idea of God's Messiah saving us from our sin was given. So today, we baptize a couple who received this message of salvation in Jesus. Most of you have already done this. You see, you're buying into a worldview that you're a sinner, that there's something wrong with you, and only God can fix it. Not a criticism, because we're all in this boat together. There are no people who aren't sinners. Everybody is the same. And we can all be saved by trusting in Jesus as Savior. So that worldview, God as one God, God as creator, man as creation, affects everything and gives you a foundation for understanding everything. When you read about science or mechanics or anything, animals, whatever, you're reading about God's creation. When you're studying science and how it all holds together, the New Testament teaches us that the laws of physics that hold things together were given to us by God. That God created stuffs and then he created those physical laws that keeps stuffs together. The very thing that gives you life and breath is given by God. And all those things go into a worldview that allows you to look at the world from that perspective of faith. And it's a perspective that can guide you and direct you in your relationships and in your workplace. And not just religious stuff either, but in every way of life. Nate's going to come and lead us in a closing hymn of invitation this morning. So the question for you is, will you adopt a biblical worldview? Will you gain a perspective on life that is based on faith? If you do that, it will challenge you. It will lead you to some conclusions that will direct you to faith and help you to become the person that God wants you to be. So why don't you st stand with me. Make those decisions that will allow God to work in your life. And if you'd like to make some kind of decision public, you can come down during the invitation and talk to me or I'll talk to you out there later today. Thank you. Thank you, Nate. Mike is going to come and lead us on a closing prayer. Mike, why don't you come on up here and lead us in prayer as we close, and I'll see you next week. Remember to be prepared to sign up for the Bible study through the month of March. The first four Wednesday evenings in March, we'll be studying the Gospels. So the first four books of the New Testament, we'll be looking at those and see how they're similar and have differences and have a great message for us. So sign up for that. It's Wednesday nights. Mike. Dear Heavenly Father, be with us now as we go. Keep and protect us from harm. And Father, help us this week to do a good deed. And help us to do it for someone that we don't even know. In your son Jesus' name, amen.